0: My father's
1: house. Everything that was available to Abraham is certainly available to you and to me. Think about it. We have resources available to us that wasn't even available to Abraham. We're privileged characters. Huh. Every revelation of God needed for our day-to-day kind of experience is recorded in the Bible. The knowledge of God is inexhaustible, but it's all been preserved and recorded for us in the Word.
0: A lot of life is lived by trial and error. You've never done things before, so you do it wrong before you figure out how to do it right. Imagine being Abraham, doing a relationship with the God of the universe, without a user's manual. You have the record of his efforts in the Bible, you see where he got it right, and you can find out where he messed up. And you have Pastor Mike, who will talk about the consequences of Abraham's choices in his teaching. These are things Abraham had no way of having. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis, chapter 25, as he continues his message, A Life That Validates Faith. You
1: And then upon returning successfully from that battle, he's met by Melchizedek, remember the king of Salem, who is also recommended to us as the priest of the Most High God, which in that previous Bible study had suggested that it was a theophany; It was actually the appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. So upon returning successfully from that battle, He's met by Melchizedek, king of Salem, and then also Berah, king of Sodom, after the battle. And if Abraham was a worldly man, he might have boasted, reveled in his victory, or used the opportunity for gain. But there's an absence of all of that. Instead, he gives tithes to God's priest, Melchizedek, acknowledging the source his victory. Then when Barah acknowledged the right to keep all of the spoils that had been recovered by Abraham, Abraham replied, just quickly go back to Genesis chapter 14. Notice what he said in verse 23. Genesis 14 and verse 23. I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abraham rich. So what was that all about? Abraham wanted the glory to be God's only for his accomplishments. You see, Abraham realized that it was God who went before him to defeat this confederation of kings. They were outnumbered. They were outmanned. They were outgunned. There was no way that you can explain his victory in this battle with the exception of placing God behind it. And so he wanted to give God all of the glory. Folks, there was this demonstration of goodness and moral excellence. That's what true faith looks like. But that's just simply one fruit of faith that validates our faith. Secondly, and we're going back now to Abraham because he revealed all of these different characteristics. We are then encouraged to add to our faith knowledge. That is, a knowledge of God and his ways. You see, Abraham, for all of the while that he lived, beginning with his calling and commission, there in Genesis chapter 12, he became a student in God's college, if you will, for all of his years going forward, right up until the very day that he passes, that is recorded for us here in this text. But isn't this the same experience for all of us? I want you to think about it. And I can only speak for myself, but I've been walking with the Lord now, I guess, for a relatively long period of time. I guess it's been some 40-something years now, and it's been a blessing. But let me tell you something. I don't know everything there is to know about God or my relationship with God. And I look forward to receiving new revelations of who He is, what He wants to do in my life and the lives of my family members, as well as the lives of my members of this church and this congregation. And I look forward to that instruction. I understand that I continue to be a student in the College of God. And that's why we're even here to be instructed in the Word of God. Isn't that true? It's a lifelong experience that never ends until Christ, again, as I mentioned before in that other illustration, until Christ calls us home. But think about this. We're going to be spending all of eternity receiving revelation on top of revelation even throughout eternity. We've talked about this before. I always use this as an example because some people are under the impression that when we cross over into eternity, we're going to be hanging out in the clouds and strumming harps and those sorts of things. No, you know what we're going to be doing? We're going to be experiencing God in greater ways. God is so great, the depth of who he is It's going to take an entire eternity to discover exactly how great God is. And it's going to be revelation on top of revelation. God's going to reveal a certain side of himself to us in eternity. And at that moment, we're going to say, oh, now I understand. So You've heard me use this illustration before, example. And in that moment, when God reveals a certain side of himself as it relates to his love for us, we're going to respond by saying, oh, now I understand what it is. That is the love of God. And even before we can get that sentence out, he's going to reveal another side of his love to us. And then we're going to say, oh, now I, And before we can utter that sentence, he's going to reveal another. We're going to spend an entire eternity understanding and receiving revelation of who God is, his wisdom, his power, his love, his forgiveness. It's going to take an entire eternity. And so it began here while we we're upon the earth. Every one of us are students, if you will, in God's college. So year by year, receiving fresh revelations of the character and the attributes of God, which molded Abraham's soul, his character, it shaped his life, even as it shapes our life. As we come together and we study the word and God speaks to us in a very matter-of-fact kind of a way, listen, we should all possess the same kind of knowledge. But if we do not, it's only because we're not seeking after it. Don't blame anyone else. Everything that was available to Abraham is certainly available to you and to me. Think about it. We have resources available to us that wasn't even available to Abraham. We're privileged characters. Every revelation of God needed for our day-to-day kind of a experience is recorded in the Bible. The knowledge of God is inexhaustible, but it's all been preserved and recorded for us in the Word. So that's where God can be known. Gang, listen, if you want to add knowledge to faith and goodness, what do we need to do? Simply study our Bibles. You know, man, I'm always harping on this. I can't overemphasize the importance of being a student of God's Word. Eat in it. Don't depend upon me to spoon-feed you the Word of God. You'll stay a babe in Christ. You'll never go on to maturity. You'll never experience the glories of God, the revelations of God, the things that God wants to reveal of himself to you. It's such a blessing. Dig in, folks. Rejoin. Put in your applications once again to the College of Jesus, if you will. But then that brings us to the third fruit that was revealed through Abraham's life. We are also encouraged to add to our faith temperance or self-control. Now, what does this look like? What does that refer to? Well, this has to do with victory over self, which probably is our greatest foe, if you think about it, because our stinking flesh is always with us. Don't blame it on the devil. The devil made me do it. The devil can't be everywhere at every time. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. He doesn't possess some of the qualities that God possesses. Yes, he has demons available to do his dirty work, and they do do that dirty work. But most of our problems is self. So probably self is our greatest foe. So This self-control, this temperance, has to do with victory over self, particularly sinful desires. But then there's another side to this. This also includes submission to the sovereign will of God. That is, whatever God is doing in your life. And what God is doing in your life isn't necessarily what God is doing in another person's life. But we need to just give ourselves to that work, whatever it is. Father knows best if you will, if I can use that expression. He knows exactly what we need, when it needs to happen within our lives, and he has a beautiful and uncanny ability to provide in the exact way to get that work done. So this also includes submission to the sovereign will of God. Now let me give you an example of this in Abraham's life. This was revealed in Abraham's intercession for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, Abraham was considered a friend of God. And when you are considered a friend of God, you are in God's confidence, if you will. And God brings you in to the things that he wants to do, many times even in the lives of other people. You're his confidant. And I love that. God doesn't leave us hanging. He draws us in. He shares some intimate details of what he's about to do, which may affect you or maybe some of your loved ones maybe the church, members of this church or whatever. And so it was with Abraham and God. And so even before God was going to destroy and judge the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, he actually brought Abraham in and let him know what he was about to do. Now remember in this discussion, in this conversation between God and Abraham, Abraham began to plead with God in rationalizing with God. And he said, if you are a righteous God, are you going to destroy, would it be right for God to destroy the righteous with the wicked? And you know what? That's really a good conversation to have with God. The answer to that question is absolutely no. And that's one of the reasons why I don't believe that the church is going to be here during the seven years of tribulation. Because remember, the judgment that comes upon the earth during the seven years of tribulation is introduced and instituted by God. And so the whole premise of this discussion between Abraham and God, would it be right or just for God, who's supposed to be a just God, to judge the righteous along with the unrighteous? And the answer to that question is absolutely not. And so if you consider that in relationship to the seven years of tribulation... The church has to be out of here before God begins to judge the earth, to purge the earth. So that's just one of the points uh, that I make uh, to suggest that the church is not going to be here during the seven years of tribulation. And so he's pleading with God. And he says, okay, if there be 50 righteous, will you spare the cities? God says, yes, if there's 50 righteous. Okay, so they checked it out. Guess what? There wasn't 50 righteous. So Abraham comes back in his conversation. 45, yes, I'll spare the city. It wasn't 45. 40, there wasn't 40. 30, there wasn't 30. 20, there wasn't 20. 10, there wasn't 10. There wasn't 10. And so what did God do? He sent two angels to deliver Lot and the members of his family. You see, listen, Lot wasn't perfect for sure. He wasn't perfect. But nevertheless, he had some faith in God and that God was going to deliver him before he judged the unrighteous there in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, not only Sodom and Gomorrah, but also the other uh, cities uh, within that plain. Yet hours later, think about this now, hours later, Abraham gazed down upon their smoking runes, and as far as he knew, Lot, Abraham's nephew and his family had perished in God's judgment. But notice there's an absence of something here. There's no word of protest on Abraham's part. Folks, that's self-control. That's what self-control looks like. Now, I'm just amplifying what that looks like, but think about it in your own life. We're talking about the sovereign work of God, whatever God is doing in your life. You might not like it, it might be very uncomfortable for you right now. What are you gonna do? You're gonna start complaining? You're gonna start murmuring? You're gonna have a little pity party like we so often do? Well, well at least so often I shouldn't speak for you, but you know how that is. <laughs> start feeling sorry for ourselves? Folks, this is what self control looks like. This is that virtue that we are to add to our faith. But there was something else here. Also, we are to add to our faith patience, and that word patience can literally be translated perseverance. And by the way, this is also related to self-control. I'd encourage you to, if you would, write them down sometime during the week, get alone, you and God, and go back into your college class with the Lord, just spend some time and let God continue to minister and speak to you about these lessons that we're serving up here But the next virtue, the next fruit that we are to add to our faith is perseverance or patience, which is also related to self-control. Now, how is this demonstrated in Abraham's life? Well, this was really amplified through Abraham's near sacrifice of his son on Mount Moriah. Remember, God spoke to Abraham, instructed him to take now thy son, thy only son, and get up to a place which I will show you and offer him there as a sacrifice. And remember in our previous studies I had suggested to you that this was a pageant that was being played out of what God the Father was going to do in offering his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And we looked at the similarities, the parallels. It was an analogy, but it was a pageant that God was playing out for us so that we understand how great God's love is for us, that he didn't even withhold his most prized possession, his son. And he sent him into the world to die in our place upon the cross for our sin. So when instructed to do so by God, and remember now, he had been waiting forever for the birth of his son, who was the heir, when instructed to do so, In chapter 22, by God, he's not arguing with God. How many times when God tells us to do something? When it is uncomfortable, when it's difficult, when it's hard, when it's going to cost you something? Hey, Christianity at times will cost you something. But remember, as I always say, if your Christianity hasn't cost you something, guess what? It's not worth anything. But there's going to be times when your Christianity is going to cost you something. But notice, Abraham in chapter 22 He's not arguing with God about offering up his son as a sacrifice. We were talking about this. We had a roundtable discussion at our men's ministry. And uh, Rengus, where are you? And uh, Rengus raised the question. He said, I really don't know if I have enough faith if God asked me to offer up my daughter. He has a beautiful little daughter. Remember we were talking about that in the discussion at the men's fellowship a couple of months ago? We went around the table and ultimately I think we all came to the same conclusion. God would provide the grace and the strength to be able to do it. But what a difficult task. Could you imagine offering up your son at God beckoning us to do that as a sacrifice? In that chapter 22 that we've already discussed and broke it down for you and dissected it, Abraham never even argued with God. He wasn't trying to find a way out of obeying what God asked him to do. He wasn't looking for excuses to delay his actions. He's just doing what he has been told to do. Folks, let me tell you something. Oh, man, that's perseverance. That's what perseverance looks like. He gets up and gets moving. And for three days, and it was interesting, remember in this analogy how that in this pageant, Abraham becomes a type of God, the father. Isaac becomes a type of God, the son, Jesus Christ. Even as Christ was dead and was in the tomb for a period of three days, in Abraham's mind, as they were traveling towards Mount Moriah, it was a 3 days journey, in Abraham's mind, his son was already dead. So I, I drew that to your attention in that pageant that was being played out. But think about that. He gets up and gets moving, And for three days, Abraham had to persevere in his obedience for the duration of his journey. Folks, that's obedience. That's discipleship. That's steadily putting one foot after the other. Year after year after year in the same direction. That's who Abraham was. And that's what Abraham did. Abraham walked this way from the day he left his home in Ur until the end of his 175th year. The next virtue, the next fruit that we are to add to our faith is godliness, or more accurately, look at the list there in Second Peter, godlikeness would be more accurate. Now this is that character developed from having spent time together with God. Have you ever noticed that you sort of become like, take on the personality of the people that you hang around with? Alde, we grew up in Hoboken together, right? Isn't that true? And there's still a lot of Hoboken in us. Isn't that true? Oh, yeah. Okay. And it's true. We become like the people that you hang around with. And uh, Hoboken, man, I tell you what a trip it was growing up in Hoboken, man. You ever meet a person who tells you they're from Hoboken? Be careful. Be careful. If they can find a way to take advantage of you. You see, but that was our old life. Okay, that doesn't exist anymore. God can use those skills. That's right, God can. And he does use those skills. But isn't it true that we become like the people that we hang around with? I remember like growing up, there was uh, these two particular gangs in Hoboken that everyone wanted to be a part of. They were the hobos and the Blackhawks. And I actually were members of both of those gangs. And I used to kind of just move around the city. And it was cool because we would had the jackets, the Blackhawk jackets, the hobo sweatshirts, and it was cool. It kind of identified you. You know, when you're a kid, you're looking for an identification, that sort of thing. And so we were like the cool guys, you know, we're hanging out. And then Later on, it, it was being a football player and... and uh, you know being a member of the varsity squad and and that was my identity and it's funny you know but you take on the personalities of the of the people that you hang out with or the people that you want to become like and so it is in our relationship with God our character that God likeness that character is developed from having spent time with God which if you think about it naturally follows perseverance because if you're persevering you're actually hanging out with God the result of that will be you'll become more like him. Isn't that true? In my
0: Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. Here at In My Father's House, we're going through the book of Genesis, where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. God made animals on land and in the sea and he said that it's good. And then God made man and he said that it is very good. Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what he does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill, You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, HarvestNYC.org. That's HarvestNYC.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that, too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again because there's no better place to be than In My Father's House.